Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China's leaders have a guiding vision. It was originally developed during a time of revolution in the first half of the 20th century. Inspired by Karl Marx, they believe they have a duty to create a just, equitable, socialist society with the eventual goal of a communist system. This cannot happen overnight. The dream takes decades to become a reality. And until then, China must go through a process of change, a period in which socialism with Chinese characteristics guides political thinking. Well, on the podcast today, we're going to focus on why this idea of an ongoing revolution remains so potent in China. And I'm very pleased to welcome back a thoughtful contributor who knows this topic well. He's Frank Tsai, the founder of China Crossroads, and he joins me once again down the line from Shanghai. Frank, welcome back to China in Context. Thanks, Duncan. Uh, I greatly appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak on your podcast again here from Shanghai. Now, people in China learn a great deal about the communist revolution. It's on the curriculum at school, and there are many books and museums dedicated to this topic. What messages stand out? So about 15 years ago, when I was teaching American politics at uh, People's University in Beijing, one of the better universities, um, I happened to um, sit in on the party ideology classes that my own students were taking. And the, the teacher, the Marxist ideology teacher, what he said in one of the classes was that the day that the Soviet Union fell, Red Square was full of tears. Now I've seen footage and uh, Red Square was not full of tears. When the flag went down and the Russian flag went up, there was very little reaction. So, you know, we have to wonder why this party tells people that this happened in the Soviet Union. All high school students and most university students have to take this party ideology class. Why would the Communist Party lie about this? What interest does it have in implying that Russians were forced against their will to relinquish the Soviet Union? And you know what kind of power or force does the West have to accomplish this? And can this force also threaten China? What I think that story means is that China feels greatly threatened by a color revolution, subversion by the West, democratic movements, popular movements, uh, information coming from the West. This is why things are blocked in China. I think this is also the mainstream of what the party has been saying more or less since 1989. Of course, things have changed uh, since that time. Xi Jinping has come on board and, you know, he greatly emphasizes party building. So the party building is also uh, the main theme now. And ultimately, it comes down to the fear that the party could collapse in the face of an ideologically more convincing, powerful West. Now, I've noticed that Chinese state media have recently been enthusiastically running many articles which link two concepts. One is the grand vision of the original communist revolutionaries. And the other theme is the need for China to have a strong, paramount leader to take the country forward. What's the connection? I think having a grand vision is in no way surprising you know, what are some other revolutionary countries? You know, top of mind to me is the United States of America. These countries tend to go back to the original founding DNA uh, because great sacrifices were made in an effort to remake the world. So much uh, debate and dialogue even today 
goes back to those uh, those documents of so long ago. Why, why would China be any different? Why would China not also want to reinterpret the figures in its founding, Mao Zedong, and uh, all the ideals that people uh, uh, fought for? You know, we can also look at how China behaves in the world and compare with America. If we think about them both as revolutionary countries, we too in America should realize that we have and have had this revolutionary fervor and claim not to understand China. Um, as for the need for a strong leader, you know, Xi Jinping likes to say that China is now facing a global environment and change is not seen for a hundred years. So, you know, wouldn't you need strong helmsmen to guide China through these shoals and these dangers and take advantage of the opportunities that the future holds with what the party sees as the decline of the West, the decline of the United States, and, and huge changes in the global South, pandemic, et cetera. Now, we can also ask the question, you know, you know how, China, how socialist is China actually? And, and I would say that we might want to sympathize with the party in that, you know, you have your social democratic tradition in, in Europe. You know, China draws from a different tradition where you need state power. You need one big dog, the state, to put down the medium dogs, who are the capitalists, to serve the little dogs, who are the people or the proletariat. Uh, state power is the only thing that can get rid of or put down those little dogs. And uh, that tradition of socialism is quite serious about that. So we can sympathize with how China identifies socialism with centralized one-party rule. Uh, finally, I, I'd have to say that, um, you know, we often laugh at socialism and Chinese characteristics. You know, what does that term actually mean? It, it, it's actually quite consistent with Orthodox Marxism as the party has reinterpreted this tradition. Marx said you'd have to have a capitalist base to achieve some paradise. To do that, you have to have market forces, you have to have big capital. Now, the party would say that the Soviet Union made a mistake by trying to build uh, a socialist uh, uh, country uh, on an agrarian society. And so, and then they try to do that urbanization and industry through state planning. Well, the party says, no, that's wrong. We have to unleash market forces. And one day we will have the base for socialism. So that, that, that term, socialism of Chinese characteristics, is, if you understand what it means, is not laughable and actually makes a whole lot of sense and does provide the seeds for a future. Very interesting. And actually, uh, sometimes people say it's a bit of a beauty contest. China wants to show that its model of government is prettier. Uh, than those of right. the uh, liberal democracies. So, I mean, given that the revolution is supposed to be an ongoing process and we're still in the interim socialist change, I wonder if there's a case to rebrand the Chinese Communist Party. Instead of being the CCP, could it become the Chinese Socialist Party? What do you think? Well, the Communist Party, in one of its many self-deceptions, believes it has some solidarity uh, with social democratic parties uh, in, in, in Europe. If China were more flexible, I think a rebranding uh, would be very beneficial to it. Uh, geopolitically, we all know that America's power is 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 going to only decline relative to China in the future. And if China wants to win this big game and be number one, it's going to have to. Its number one strategy ought to be to divide Europe and America. And what better way than to create these uh, continuities and solidarities with Europe? Now, that's never going to happen because uh, they're bought in. Right? You call yourself the Communist Party, you're not going to change that. I don't see, we haven't seen the United States, uh, you know, uh, changing its constitution very much and certainly hasn't changed its 
regime and method of interpreting the constitution for the future. And I don't see China having that, seeing that either. I don't see the UK calling itself a republic either. So, you know, China stuck with what it has. It's the Communist Party of China. It was the Communist Revolution. Uh, you know, in some ways it may be unfortunate for China, but uh, it also gives uh, you know, China a great power in that it can connect its the successes of the past with the present and a possible uh, victorious future. Lastly, there's a phrase I want to run past you, Frank, which I know you've given some thought to. It's the idea of a dictatorship of the proletariat. Now, that reminds me of some of the ideas which were in vogue during the time of the USSR. For those of us living in Western liberal democracies, the dictatorship of the proletariat can sound like quite a sinister idea. I wonder how a Chinese person who's grown up in a country run by the CCP regards that concept. It's a great question. I mean, I mentioned the ideological education. I'm not terms of growing students, and they don't. There's so many that they may not take that one term seriously. Um, they also learn the Chinese democracy outside my building. There's a wall that mentions the uh, a dozen or so uh, socialist virtues. One is that one's democracy, one's thrift, one's entrepreneurship. Uh, so you know maybe Chinese don't take that as seriously as as uh, as we might. Uh, but again, I would I would just say that again, state power is very important. My uh, the whole theory that I've mentioned of being the big dog and that's what it's all about. Well, thank you, Frank. I think I've really gained some new insights into the whole concept of revolution. That was Frank Tsai, founder of China Crossroads, on the line from Shanghai. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, and you can find out more about our activities, including our latest courses and research, on our website. That's soas.ac.uk. But until next time, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. 